0: Right, hello, welcome to this very special edition of the Big Football Podcast. Hosting as always, my name's Dan, and I'm joined this evening by Paul. Good evening, Dan. And Carl. Good evening. Are you good, gents? Yeah, very well, thanks. Yes, Well, thanks. Yeah. well the, the reason this is a special edition of the, of the Big Football Podcast is because, in reality, it's probably going to be our last show. Um, as you probably noticed, we've not done one in two months. Um, we've all been busy beavers, there's no sign of it quieting down, we may bust out the microphone in the future, but for now, um, I'm afraid that we're just going to have to put the the project on hold, as much fun as we've had doing it, and as much fun as we, we have talking to each other, the reality is that life gets in the way, we're all, we're all busy men, and uh, it's caught up with us unfortunately, but it's been a good two years. I, I don't, don't been... know about you
1: guys, I've been offered the Austria job, that's where I'm going, I've uh, that... <laughs> they've realised <laughs> who they've hired and they've said they've just have ju- just put a call in
2: i don't know does that mean you yeah does that mean i was going to say does that mean you've turned down the consultancy at man united first <laughs>
1: yes i've ran a mile
0: <laughs> not um not not bad work if you can get it um speaking of bad work the, the easiest place to, t- to start is the champions league final from saturday i have next to nothing to say about the game i have Plenty to say about what's going on before it. Yet again, football fans are under attack from the governing bodies. Um There is a concerted attempt to blame Liverpool for whatever shortcomings, the police, UEFA, the organisation, stewards, whatever. The The final in Paris was an absolute fiasco from start to finish. I wasn't there myself. Fortunately for me, I didn't get a ticket, as it turns out. I've, the Liverpool have been in three finals this year and I've not been drawn out for a ticket for any of them. But this is one that it's a good job that I missed out on. I know someone who was in the Royal Navy for eight years and has never been as anxious as he was waiting to try and get into that game, which he didn't get into in the end. A Royal Navy veteran said that he feared for his life. That That is the extent of the ridiculousness that our fans first on Saturday and then you've got the things that you wear for can control like organised crime, people getting attacked a bit after the game, jewelry phones being stolen, people being slashed in the backside. Um disgraceful. Absolutely disgraceful. And I have got a lot I've probably already said about too much but um, it's frankly embarrassing that you are trying to blame Liverpool fans. First of all, it was putting up the message due to the late arrival of fans, no it wasn't, you con artists, you charlatans, it was because of your organisation. Our fans were there three hours early, like you asked them to be, and some of them who were there for four hours didn't get into the game because of the shambolic scenes outside. There's been multiple reports from journalists who were caught in this as well. So this isn't going to wash. This isn't going to go away. We are not going to sit there and allow our fans to get their name tarnished again. I was there in Athens in 2007 when there was a similar lack of organisation and chaos. But on that occasion, the police didn't wade in and make things worse. On this occasion in Paris, they did. And their conduct is an absolute disgrace. Everyone involved with the organisation in that final should have been and should be embarrassed by what has gone on and what's happened it comes to something when it would have probably been safer to play the game in st petersburg absolutely <laughs> ridiculous and utter embarrassment and i am so angry that yet again it's football fans who are being victimised and picked on Why don't you hold the hands up and say we got it wrong instead of trying to go for this outrageous blame game saying there were 40,000 forged tickets? Well, if that's the case, I'm sure they won't have any problem having a press conference and showing us these 40,000 tickets that they confiscated. Absolutely ridiculous. A complete embarrassment and I will not stand and allow Fat Devo from Facebook to tell everyone that it's them scousers again because those scousers represented at my football club with a great deal of pride and dignity in the face of provocation on Saturday. I am very proud of them.
2: Yeah, I, I think there's a few things to say, Dan. First of all, I mean, yeah, the the, the scenes were ridiculous and uh, the, the, you know, chaos, it doesn't even begin to see. it. And everyone will have seen by now videos and the reports from journalists and, and some, you know, really well-respected journalists who, who were witnessing the scenes and were and caught Henry up Winston. in it. And, you know, and, and Gary Lineker and have and 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 tweeted about it and have shown videos from, from outside the ground. I think it pretty conclusively, um, you know, rejects the sort of narrative that, that UEFA have, have created that there were fans who got there late and then fans trying to jump over walls and, and all of that. And, you know, I, I think all the narratives that FIFA, uh, sorry, UEFA have, have tried to spin have, have been disproven. Um Including the fake tickets, right? Because that that sounds pretty difficult to swallow to me when we know from from Andy Robertson that a friend of his who had got a ticket through Andy Robertson, um, you know, so you would imagine you imagine that the tickets that were given to the players involved were not fake tickets, unless you wait even more incompetent than he <laughs> first appears. Um, you know, one of his friends with a ticket that had got uh, come through a legitimate source was also turned away. So I think the fake tickets things a complete misnomer as far as I'm concerned. I, I think a couple of things to say in, in Uwe's defense, which is that a lot of the organization um, and the security around the stadium is not on them. It's on, ultimately the french football federation um and then clearly the the french law enforcement uh i think uefa's biggest mistake was was sort of hiding behind blaming the fans in the first instance rather than putting the blame directly where it should have been which is on the french authorities who clearly have made a complete and utter mess of it um i think uh you know the the defence for the french would be that oh well the game got switched at late notice but nowhere near enough late notice to to uh cause the sort of chaos that that we saw on on Saturday you're not telling me that sort of two months notice isn't isn't enough to organize football uh games such that it doesn't descend into complete and utter force I think the next thing to say is we have to be a little bit careful here sort of throwing stones because we all know what happened at Wembley and I was there at the, at the European Championship final last summer that wasn't particularly well organized or well policed or well um uh, run either now I think there 's a bit more of a defense in that in that situation to the fact that some of that was genuinely fan created uh and and there was more there that that can rightly be cast at, at England fans who didn't you know who didn 't have tickets and who didn't behave themselves uh with any class or decorum that 's not the case from from what we know about about Saturday, so I think you know. You, UEFA really need to, to get a grip on this. It's actually not the first time, as you've alluded to, Dan, that we've seen some of these scenes. I know I've been away from home in the Champions League with Arsenal twice in my life, and they're probably the two worst policed football games I've ever been to. And so I think there is a bit of a problem as well with the way that continental police forces still treat English football fans and it was interesting that the Real Madrid fans didn't seem to have the same experience with the French police that the Liverpool fans did on Saturday. Now again I'm told that that was partly because we were trying to funnel Liverpool fans in through only two gates and and, and the Real Madrid fans have more entrances available to them. But I I do think it's interesting in the treatment and that that scene that um, they showed on Sky Sports News where Liverpool fans were being funneled under an underpass that was extremely tight and and extremely high risk of of crushing. I mean, one of the experiences I had was in lawns in an underground tunnel that was extremely frightening because there were far too many people being, you know, thrown into an underground tunnel that simply wasn't big enough to to uh, accommodate them. So I think there's immediate lessons that need to be learned from this game, but I think there's more of a cultural change as well that needs to happen in the way games have been policed, particularly when English football fans are abroad. The argument that we've brought some of this on ourselves, it, fair enough. But actually, if you look at the behaviour of, of English football fans on the continent in the last... 20 years certainly sort of since since post France 98 when I think we didn't cover ourselves in glory our record is is much much better and I I think there's been you know a slowness to adjust um from from foreign police forces to to actually the fact that by and large now English football fans whether following the national team or particularly when following club teams have generally got a track record of behaving very well when they go abroad
1: yeah, I think it does. It does feel as though um, fans travelling with with club teams get get tarred with the the England national team brush. Where I think there are still examples. Obviously, you touched on Wembley last year, and you know there have been tournaments where um, you know I think uh, in 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 France, even you know in the south of France, you know England, Russia, and things like that. A few years back, there was you know some some unsavory scenes there as well but I, I think unfortunately yeah it does sort of carry over to um you know to, to the treatment of, of of club fans um I, I think as well it also sounds like that that in terms of other sort of causes for it that the the stade de france has a bit of a poor track record in terms of organization and um, whether that's because it's this we regard, you know even outside of football there was a few reports of people saying you know, like rugby fans saying when they've gone there in the Six Nations and stuff that it's been a bit of a shambles. I I don't think I've seen or heard anything on the scale of what happened at the weekend. But it does feel like the Stade de France generally doesn't, doesn't seem to cover itself in glory. So the organisation and the policing around it, regardless of which sporting authorities sort of running the fixture, um, it seems as though whoever's kind of on the ground organising it um maybe hasn't got their act together and which makes it surprising considering if they just keep repeating mistakes, who's you know, who's on the hook for this and why aren't why isn't there any accountability but as we all know with sort of these sorts of governing bodies that they're not fans of accountability and they're quite like sweeping things under the carpet or, you know, pointing the blame, which is exactly what you you know, UEFA's jumped to do here um, with Liverpool fans. But I, I think that they surely have to if they haven't already kind of formally apologize or U-turn in some way or another because there's just too much evidence showing that, that just that just isn't the case that it was really anything to do with the fans at all and that it was poor organisation. Um and, and like I say too many, you know, neutral parties who are who are sort of, you know, defending Liverpool fans as well, um, which I think kinda shows that yeah, it's it's it was all to do with the the authorities and the organisation on the day um and, and certainly nothing to do with um you know with, with the
0: fans or the football club. And yet the blame game had started before the game had even kicked off. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean I couldn't believe it when I saw that first statement. Yeah, that that was that was ridiculous when all you'd seen in the build up was fans queuing for hours to get in, and then the first message that comes out is due to the late arrival of fans, you're like, how can you say that with a straight face? It, yeah, I mean but again it's unfortunately seems to be yeah, typical typical UEFA and like I say it's just that that lack of accountability and maybe they I thought mean, Again, call. if I'm
2: trying to be completely fair to UEFA, th- there may have been a breakdown in communication there between the authorities sort of running the the, the entrance outside the stadium and the UEFA bods who were ultimately making an, a, a statement for, for the benefit of TV viewers. If I was giving them any benefit of the doubt, I'd say they maybe weren't quite um, fully abreast of what was happening outside the stadium, but but certainly by now there should have been an acceptance and an apology for the fact that that statement was, was Clearly, uh, a complete and utter fabrication. The problems getting people in was not about late arrival. There were Liverpool fans there in plenty of time um, to get into the game. It, you know, there were other factors. I think they have announced an investigation, haven't they? But I haven't seen any sort of apology to this to this point. It feels like they're gonna a boris johnson and hide behind there's an inquiry uh, for a few weeks and mm. see how long how long that yeah, sue grey will be busy <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> good old sue will be on the case um you know but it, it does feel like you're right in what, what you both say that the the normal sort of lack of accountability from the authorities in in these matters seem, seems unfortunately to have reared its ugly head here as well
1: it, j- Just one other thing that a a, a friend of mine was was, was saying um, is that the way he sort of explained it it, because he travels away a lot sort of in England matches and other things is that in a lot of cities they have like you know and I think you touched on it as well Paul this is sort of the outer perimeter and then the the yeah. and all that kind of stuff and that's where they kind of weed out the the kind of the chances and the the people with you know fake tickets or no tickets and whatever but the location of the Stade de France and I think you were saying it's similar with Wembley it's difficult to do that because you can basically yeah. just turn up and you're there um so that it's harder to do that because obviously the other bit that you touched on briefly down at the start was around all the kind of the gangs that were waiting because there was almost as much drama after the game Afterwards, as there was before yeah. um but partly because of you know of that reason and i think also the fact that the stadium itself isn't in you know maybe you know it is in quite a deprived area as well um which you know perhaps mm. doesn't help when there's um you know sort of thousands of essentially foreign tourists all there um, you add those and, things and people together know they're and... going to be there. Right. People mm-hmm. know
2: that they're get, there's going to be a load of tourists coming out of this place at this time. I mean, again, though, ultimately, the authority it shouldn't be beyond the wit of the authorities to make sure that's properly policed after the game yeah. and that there's, you know, clear designated walk in zones that, that fans can take to get back to stations that are, you know, Obviously, you can never stop it entirely, but there are well enough police that you're going to minimise any incidents. I mean, frankly, they do that at Arsenal home games. Like, coming away from the Emirates after an Arsenal home game, there is stewarding on the designated routes back to Finsbury Park and Highbury and Islington Station. Uh, it, It shouldn't be beyond the wit of man to do that for a Champions League final. And again... Uh, not wanting to, to sort of keep saying, in fairness to UEFA, but there's as much blame there on the French Football Federation and on the on the French police and the Paris authorities who, who simply made a complete mess of the logistics of of, of putting on that that fixture.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, um, the authorities appear to have just picked out multiple Inspector Crabtree impersonators <laughs> to, to police the game along with Latin inspector from the pink panther but maybe i'm just showing my age the inspector it was it Cl- not cluso yeah cluso yes it was yes um so um if we kind of like touch on on that what one one final thing do not blame our fans i don't care what's happened in the past and what you think about our fans it was not our fault um with regards to the match it's difficult for me to kind of Summarise because I, I am disappointed because it, I've lost, we've just lost a European Cup final, but we lost to Real Madrid. It's their competition, uh, and they are warriors and winners, and um, they just they, we we played the game the way they wanted us to, and we just had no answers when we fell behind. I think in the in the Premier League that goal might be offside, to be honest, but uh, we'd had a lucky escape just before half time. They had two attacks, the ball ended up in the net twice and we had multiple attacks. Um Courtois was in good form, but I still think that we would probably like like in Athens, I feel like we've left something on the table and we would be disappointed that we've not won. we are a better team than Real Madrid. We are player for player, we are a better team than Real Madrid but they they completely deserve to win on the night. It's frustrating as it is for me because we had chances and the goalkeeper did play well, but no no arguments. And we, we'll come again next season. We'll be in the final four next season again. I've no doubt. So I think two things to pick up on immediately, Dan. I think yes,
2: Liverpool are a better team than Real Madrid, but so are Manchester City, Chelsea, and Paris Saint Germain. The run Real Madrid have had to incredible. win this competition is incredible, and they've rode their luck as we all know. But as you rightly said, they're warriors. That three in midfield. I'm going to say something quite controversial now. I think that three in midfield of Cruz, Modric and Casemiro is darn near close to Xavi, Iniesta and Busquets. And it will never get the credit. It will never get the credit because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't always as pretty, right, as as, um, Busquets, uh, Xavi and Iniesta. But when you look at what they've won, when you look at the number of games they've played together, high-level games, and in the second half, when I think Liverpool did get sucked into playing their game... Um, they completely took the sting out of it. I thought, first off, Liverpool played well. They got the tempo up. Madrid couldn't live with the pressing. Didn't really do enough in front of goal, if I'm completely honest. Courtois made the one really great save that he tipped onto the post. He made a couple of other saves in the first half, but their saves, you'd expect a goalkeeper of, of Courtois' quality to make. He obviously made one great save in the second half from the Salah chance. But really, beyond that chance, Liverpool didn't make him work a lot in the second half. And I do feel like they... second. I said this before the final, you played against them a few years ago. The game was going to come down to whose pace it was played at. Uh, Real Madrid play a much slower pace game than the Liverpool. And I think in the second half, that three in midfield started to just pop the ball between them, be willing to have it in tight spaces. And while they didn't really get up the field and create. They had enough possession in that middle third to just take the sting from Liverpool a little bit. If I'm going to be completely honest, Liverpool looked like a team that had played 63 games in that second half Co- to me. Com- completely right. Ran Re- out of ideas. Mentally yeah. exhausted. M- mentally exhausted. Physically exhausted. Just looked like a team. That, and and if I am rarely critical of Jurgen Klopp, I thought taking Diaz off as a first sub was the easy option. I also think it was the wrong option. Um he he looked the liveliest of the front three. Salah, I know he had the chance late on that uh, made a good save, as I've just said. I thought Salah looked dead. I thought his legs looked dead. Again, he's, he, you add into the Salah season and the Mane season, the African Cup of Nations, right? Right in the middle of it where they played...
0: 70 games they
2: played. Huge intensity games. They obviously played against one another in that World Cup qualifier as well. Huge intensity game. They just looked tired. Uh, the other thing I'd say on the, on the off-sides the goals, Dan. I think you're absolutely right. I said that immediately afterwards. I think in the Premier League, the first goal that's disallowed is a goal, and the second goal that's allowed is disallowed. The way we use VAR in the Premier League, I think those two decisions would have been completely flipped. I think the first one, they'd have said, it's come off Fabinho, and it's not a deflection, therefore it's a goal. Uh, they, they don't seem to give this same deference to whether it was intentional or not. They look for a clear touch. Is it a deflection? Because they give some some leeway for deflections. No, it's a clear touch. He's played it forward, back into the path of the striker. That would have been a goal. And the second one, I think in the Premier League, would have had the dotted lines out. We'd have said, oh, his fingernail's probably just offside. <laughs> and it would have been disallowed. So I think you're right. I think in the Premier League, there'd have been a different outcome on both those decisions. Um Yeah, I... You have to give Madrid great credit. You have to give Carlo Ancelotti great credit, right? A year ago, he was managing Everton. Um, and, and thankfully, Real Madrid came and rescued him from that. <laughs> uh, and he's, he's, you know, the first manager in history to win four Champions Leagues. Um, obviously, two with Madrid and two with Milan. Uh, I think Liverpool have been unlucky enough to be on the wrong end of two of those. Um, but also were lucky uh, to be on the right end of another one that he could have he could have had five so yes, he should uh, have had five. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you've got to give Carlo a great credit. I think he's, you know, one of the great managers of his generation. He's done a brilliant job with that Madrid side. He was the manageable. perfect He was the perfect man for that job, right? Because the one thing Ancelotti was famous for at Milan was just getting a bit more out of players that looked over the hill. And he's done that with like likes of Benzema and Cruz and, and Modric this year. I thought, you know, Courtois was obviously man of the match. I thought Casemiro was absolutely brilliant again. Another controversial opinion. If you ask me about Real Madrid defensive midfield players in my lifetime, I'm putting Casemiro ahead of Makaleli. Again, that will be a controversial view, but but it, that's the way I see it. I think it, it's super it won't,
0: it won't if you line up the trophies.
2: Well, quite, quite, Dan. Yeah, yeah. And that's,
0: and that's why it's not controversial to say that, that this three they've got now is better than Iniesta and Co. because the trophies mount up. Well, because, you know,
2: is that, is that five? I mean, I'm not sure Casemiro played in the first one, did he? But I think that's four European Cups for the three of them as a, as a tri- triumvirate. And I think Modric has won five. I think Casemiro and Cruz came after the, the first Ancelotti one. Um, but I think, I think, you know, it's four as a triumvirate and, and, and Modric has got five in total. So, you know, that's an incredible record.
1: Um, yeah, I didn't. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't. I didn't get to see the game Saturday. And I, I, well, I was very annoyed that I had uh, I had other plans. But in the way it panned out, uh, it you know it, it maybe wasn't a, wasn't the sort of based on the the knockout rounds of where I saw you know Madrid's games against um, you know sort of PSG and City and the comebacks and all that. It, it perhaps didn't quite live up to that level of of drama, but. Um, yeah equally maybe it was it was never going to finals don't always but I think I think you're probably right about you know Liverpool have looked a bit a bit leggy and just generally in the last few games just just because of you know the amount they've had to to go through and and obviously you know some of those you know the trophies that you have won they've gone to extra time and things like that it's almost like it's like you've (laughs) gone out of your way to play every second of every minute of every (laughs) game possible so eventually it just gets to a point where doesn't matter how good a player you are how much natural talent you've got you just don't have it in the tank right and I think that's that's fair enough and and there's no you know we've seen the way Madrid sort of swagger through this competition there's I don't think there's any shame in losing to Real Madrid in a final of the Champions League right I mean it's as you said it's your words Dan. it's it's their competition and everyone else is just a guest who they, who they loan it to from time to time um and yeah it's just one of those things uh unfortunately um and well. Just
2: before we just before we revert to the Premier League and and talk about you know Liverpool more in that context as well, the one thing I did think after that game was was watching Real Madrid lift another Champions League trophy. I thought, really, Kylian Mbappe, really, mm. you stayed at PSG to earn a million pounds a week when you could be winning the European Cup in the white shirt. I just, to me, like as as a football fan, I don't care how much money Man City have got. I don't care how much money PSG have got. Real Madrid is the biggest football club in the world. And unless you're a Catalan, there is no excuse for saying no to them, even a million pound a week. Like Kylian Mbappe is not going to be short of a few quid when he retires. Is he? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it's, that, it's that advert that's on the tally at the moment that says, you know, when you, when you, when you finally drop off this mortal coil, are you going to go darn it? I wish I bought more stuff. You know, you're going to think about the memories. And to me, uh, I, I just cannot get my head around saying no to the biggest football club in the world that wins European Cups like they're going out of fashion to stay at PSG and play in the Harlem Globetrotters the bottle it every year. It <laughs> just makes no sense to me.
0: Yeah, I, I, I thought that was a st- stick on that he was going. and I, he, he did talk to the Reds as well. Um, the conversation didn't go much beyond lol, <laughs> given the contracts he signed at PSG, but you know he, 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 with the Reds and he did talk.
1: Um, the, the other thing I, th- I thought, because I know we've we've spoken about this um, separately, Paul. But when you said when you saw Real Madrid lifting it again, I, I thought you were going to make a comment around you know the sort of the closed shop. That uh, I know this maybe uh, we might need another another comeback <laughs> special to discuss <laughs> the uh, the setup of European competitions, but. Uh, There is also that observation as well that that's been made and, you know, I think a few pieces have come out around um, you know, all the fuss, you know, a year ago about the super league and stuff and but but actually, you know, you look at who who's kinda winning and and getting to finals in the Champions League and it's you know, I mean you even said Dan Liverpool will be back there next year, yeah, who'd bet against them, right? You probably will and probably Real Madrid will and probably Man City will and probably PSG will and um it, it does feel like it's becoming you know, we even, even, it's always been a bit of a close shot. We've always had bigger clubs in, in Europe, right? I mean, that's that's fine. But I think over the last decade or so in particular, it, it seems to have really honed in um, on, you know, it's it's maybe, you know, add in Barca and, and Munich to the clubs I've just mentioned. And it's sort of four from that six almost every year. I guess Atletico as well, I suppose.
2: It's it's eight eight winners in 22 years. Only eight different winners in 22 years yeah. as a start. Now, I haven't gone back and counted the numbers in the previous 22 years, but I'm pretty sure it's way more than eight. If you take, you know, 22 years from now takes you back to what? the year 2000 i imagine if you count the 22 years from 1978 to the year 2000 there's a lot more than a different winners and i do think there's a risk we've you know we've got i mean we said it last year didn't we when the whole super league thing kicked off we've got the super league anyway by a different name and you way for clutching their pearls and howling about how terrible it all was um you know this is basically the you know the super league would have been the bastard sort of your own creation frankly um and, mm. and you know I, I think, yeah, it's it's a topic for a different day, maybe. But the uh, the closed shop nature of the Champions League does, I think, turn some fans off, and even though. Some of the games are great, and you've alluded to them, and some of the games in the competition itself, the Man City-Real Madrid games, even that Man city Atletico second leg, which wasn't the most exciting football contest, but had the drama and the tension. And the, <laughs> and um, the display of <laughs> and the display sportsmanship. Of complete, yeah, complete lunacy that you always get with Atletico Madrid. Um, but, you know, only eight different winners in, in 22 years. I, I think there's a question mark about whether that's sustainable in the long term. Before people just go, you know what? Why am
0: I watching this? Let's just um, let's just agree with Real Madrid have won it because that's that's how it feels. Yeah,
2: well, especially given that Sevilla didn't win the uh, Europa League this year um, by making the mistake of getting through their Champions League group. Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, definitely. I mean. Con and I actually watched the Europa League final together and if you think the Champions League final was bad, my God, that was an hour and a half of my life, I'll never get back.
0: Yeah, old Jose didn't exactly play a free-flowing game in the conference final either.
2: No, I didn't watch that one, unfortunately, but um, it was another
0: 1-0, wasn't it? That's what Jose does. Sevilla, of course, got into the Champions League again this year, so they're not going to win the Europa League next year either. Well, no, they might they
2: might realise a mistake this year and make sure they finish third <laughs> in the group.
0: Slim slim pickings in Seville.
2: I, I guarantee, and we might touch on Arsenal briefly shortly, but um, I guarantee, Dan, if Arsenal make the Europa League final next year, they will not be playing against Frankfurt or Rangers. We'll have Chelsea or Atletico Madrid <laughs> yeah. like every other year. We've done <laughs> well in the competition.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, you must have been fuming about that. Um, so if we kind of then move to the, the Premier League We we can't do it I uh, run through every team But um, like, for, uh, Let's just go to to The, the title race um, It was a good one It did have drama on the last day Even though we would never top at any point I'm not going to sit here and congratulate Man City And pretend I respect them Because I don't I've got no respect for Man City whatsoever But they have a great squad Full of great players and a great manager They don't know when they're beaten. They will not be going away anytime soon because of the the financial doping. They will probably win it again next season. Um, They've improved, they've strengthened, they've brought in Erling Haaland. They've won it four times in five years. Um, I I, I, I don't see how anyone can stop them apart from from Pep maybe fancying another blank checkbook job, maybe uh, PSG.
2: Yeah, I think I mean Man City. Congratulations to them; these four titles in five years, as you've said. Um, they they've kept their standards remarkably high as well. Liverpool have made them. You know, I think this is the third of those four that they've got ninety plus points, and that's that's incredible, right? To win three out of four leagues with ninety plus points. I know the one Liverpool won in the meantime was was ninety plus points as well, and Man City didn't quite go with them that year. Um, so so let's put that out there immediately that's an incredible achievement that they've that they've had uh yeah drama on the last day it looked at one point didn't it as though they were going to blow it um it felt a bit like the the old aguero year although they didn't quite leave it that late um they've strengthened at, at Holland. must be the steal of the summer if they've paid 55 million for him that's an absolute pinch uh the rumor is that they're going to sign calvin phillips from leeds as well i think that'd be another fantastic buy i'm a huge calvin phillips fan and i C- think cucumberella any... as well from brighton. yeah from brighton i'm not as big a fan of him as while i think he can definitely play he's another fullback that doesn't really understand the concept of defending <laughs> um but i know that's kind of going out of fashion and i'm a bit of a dinosaur thinking fullback should defend as well um but yeah i i mean calvin phillips would be perfect in that midfield. The one thing I love about him is he always looks forward first. He's perfect for a Pep team. Um, yeah, I, I think they're going to be very hard to beat next season. Liverpool pushed them all the way this year. We've talked already about the fact that Liverpool maybe just ran a little bit out of gas at the end, but I don't think that's what stopped them in the Premier League, actually. It was it was the first half of the season, ironically enough, uh, where they, they got themselves too far behind. And if you think back to sort of January time, we didn't think we got a title race. So you have to give Liverpool enormous credit for, for their consistency in the second half of the season. Um, I think it has helped. The Diaz signing helped. I think they've got a bit of a stronger squad now. They've got a bit more depth to them, Liverpool, that they can rotate. But equally, they'll need to strengthen again in the summer. Who knows what will happen with, with Sadio Mane. Lucas as though uh, he wants to be elsewhere. Um, I think they need another midfield player because I think They've probably got to the point where James Milner's you know, not going to be part of it anymore. Uh, I do think they've strengthened the centre-half. I, I know he's only been a bit part this year, but I really like Kanate. I think he's a really, really good complement to Virgil van Dijk. Um, I imagine he will sort of firmly establish himself as first choice next year. I know he's been sort of rotated with Matic more this year. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Liverpool will be there or thereabouts again, But but given... Mane might go when you look at the strengthening that City have made, it's hard at this point in time to predict anything other than another Man
0: City title For for, for the record um, I'm told that Mane is using this as a negotiation tactic because he doesn't feel as though he's getting the interest or recognition for his contract because everyone's talking about Salah Um, if he does go um, and I think we might go for him anyway um, I think we're we're, we're very, very interested in Darwin Nunes. Yeah, he'd be a terrific buy for whoever gets him. He looks like a proper player. He just looks like a Liverpool player to me. Anyway, sorry, can't go on.
1: (laughs) No, no, it's all right. Uh, Yeah, I think,
0: you you know, I don't particularly want
1: to give City... You know, too much credit either. But um, you know, it, Liverpool at least made it a, a, a title race for the second half of the season. I, you know, I wouldn't have. I would rather have some level of competitiveness there than just see a team running away with it. And you know, I've already said if you know, if if for some reason Liverpool have to go into a mini rebuild and and they can't keep up this intensity, then it's almost like you know, you you look down the table, the next two teams are essentially 20 points below them gives you an idea of how far ahead currently City and Liverpool are. So if if Liverpool fall away due to needing to replenish the squad or not being able to get the quality and they need, you know, City are already strengthening, then it all of a sudden leaves it open to it being a, you know, we talked about closed shops in Europe, it'll be an even more, you know, a closed shop of one in the Premier League, which I don't think anyone wants, because I don't think that helps the league in, in the long run, really. It doesn't make it exciting, and particularly when, you know, and we don't need to go into it now, but, you know, where you look at where City get the resources from and all that kind of stuff, you know, is that really the what you want as the kind of flag bearer of the Premier League? You know, probably not. I know that no football club is completely, uh, you know, devoid of, of those kind of connections these days. You know, we can all point fingers at each other, but um, yeah, it would be a shame if we got to a situation where it's, you know, Man City and then the rest. I think that would be quite a depressing state of affairs for the Premier League personally. I'm picking
2: up on that con. I think it is a big season next year for Thomas Tuchel and Chelsea. Obviously, the second half of this season's been a bit of a disaster for them. You know, their two best performances since Christmas were the two finals they lost to Liverpool. Their league form's not I know they bashed Southampton 6, didn't they in the middle of that. Their league form's not been very good. Their league form since Christmas would, would not even be top 4 form frankly um you forget that they were pretty much on the pace for the first half of the season with the, with the top two a little bit behind city but pretty much nip and tuck with liverpool um and they fell away badly w- obviously roman's gone we don't know whether the new owners will have more patience possibly um so maybe Tuchel isn't quite on the hot seat but if he finishes whatever he was 20 points behind champions again next season with the investment that has already been in that squad um, with the, the money that's been spent the players that they have uh, particularly in those kind of midfield and behind the forward slash wide positions I I don't think he can afford to finish 20 points behind the champions again next season if he does I don't think he'll be in a job um, that Chelsea teams underperformed in the league this year now I never expected him to win it because I do think they had a large gap to bridge with with the top team, so I'm not sh- I'm not saying that that he has to win it, but he has to be within six, seven, eight points of the title next year. If he's twenty points away again, um, with the talent he's got available to him, that isn't good enough. You you called that at the start of the season that Chelsea didn't score enough goals. I, yeah, I, my worry about Tuchel since he's been there, Dan, is you, you'll remember at the end of the Frank Lampard era. Chelsea were fun to watch. Like they were fun to watch because they were a basket case at the back, but they always scored three or four goals. I think back to that West Brom game in his in his final season there when I think they were three one down and came back to win four three or draw three all, and it was a crazy game of football. Um, now Tuchel's immediate priority when he got there was he made them tight, he made them compact. They stopped conceding bagfuls of goals. Um, you know they got they got that half of the pitch right. But they are very predictable going forward. And I I don't think they play with a lot of, again, for the players they've got, with a lot of freedom or a lot of imagination. um, It'll be interesting to see what happens at centre-forward. They're another club that's been linked with Darwin Nunes that you've just mentioned. Um, I've seen a rumour today that they're willing to loan Lukaku back to Inter for two years. That's how bad it's been. They don't even expect to get a transfer fee. They're just going to loan him back if if Inter can afford to pay his wages. Um, that's been a disaster of a move so far. They need a centre forward, but they also need, to me, just to play with more freedom and more imagination in the final third of the pitch and get more players into those positions in those pockets, in and around the box where they can make things happen. They They remind me a little bit of of kind of what Arteta did at Arsenal, which was he very much focused on trying to get the, the back end sorted first, and and last season particularly, you know, the season before the one that's just gone, we didn't create many chances. Now Chelsea have got better players than we had then, um, and so we're and so we're a better team. But in terms of style, they remind me a bit of that. They don't create a lot of chances.
1: Yeah, I think I think all I would say, I mean, I think you, you, you're right on how how Chelsea play. I think in terms of the two situation. You probably are right. I, I think he probably gets a little bit of a pass for the second half of this season, where there's definitely been a drop off um, because they weren't they, were, they weren't twenty points off the pace, you know, no. at the turn of the year. No. Um, but I think with everything going on um, with the situation around the ownership and stuff, I, I think he may be, and, and I think how much that's had an impact on players in terms of contracts and things like that, and, and just literally for about. A few weeks, it just wasn't really clear what the, what the heck was going on. I, I think he probably gets a li- a little bit of a pass on on the performances and the standards um, for the last few months. But that that will be a distant memory if everything gets sorted out in the summer and new owners are in. There'll be an expectation of you know it's still as you've said you know it's still a squad that's had a lot of investment in the last few years. There's a lot of players there who were highly sought after when Chelsea got them. You know it wasn't like they were just picking up scraps. These were these were like you know a lot of the players they brought in were. You know, considered to be the next wave of emerging young talent in some of those positions. So, if you can't get a tune out of them, then they'll be looking around for someone else who can, right? Because that—that is how Chelsea have operated. And yeah, we'll wait and see if that drastically changes under the new owners or not.
2: And it is fair to say, in in Tuchel's defense, he's dealt extremely well with everything that's happened off the pitch. I think he's been a a class act in the way that he's—he's dealt with the, you know, the whole Abramovich situation, Russia, the whole thing. I think he's, in, in terms of furthering his reputation as a human being as much as a football manager. I think he's he's done very well. Uh, very dignified. I, yeah, been very dignified. I think he will get closer next year. Don't get me wrong. I think he will sort of take the team on another step. But I do think he kind of has to. He doesn't have to win the league, but he does have to get closer next year for me.
0: Paul, you must be... I, I don't know whether you'd be devastated or angry, but you must be... Your head must still be spinning it, not finishing fourth. I think frustrated, definitely, Dan. Um, I think I said probably the
2: last time we did a podcast that I I always thought this was a year too early for Arsenal in terms of being in the top four. But the position we had got ourselves into was the position from which we should have finished in the top four. Um, And to miss out, and particularly, obviously, to miss out to Spurs is really frustrating. Um, You know, I, I think we probably blew it in the three games against Palace, Brighton and Southampton, if I'm honest. We played really poorly at Palace and deserved to get beat on the Monday night. Um we uh we were a little bit unfortunate at home to Brighton. I think we had a goal ruled out that again, you know, certainly wouldn't have been ruled out in, in the way that they interpret offside in Europe. Um didn't play great that day, played really well actually at Southampton and just couldn't find a way to put the ball in the goal. And again, I think our weakness is well known. Everyone knows Arsenal need a proper centre forward. Um, mm. Even if we are giving Eddie and Ketia a hundred grand a week, which I'm still not <laughs> quite getting my head around. Um, uh, you know, Arsenal need a proper centre forward. and It probably cost us in that game, right? We win that game, we're in the Champions League. So uh there is a, a, a huge frustration, but then we almost got ourselves back in in the in the a seat with the wins against Chelsea and United and West Ham, which on paper looked the difficult ones. Not a lot went for us in the game at uh White Hart Lane if I'm honest um you know again some of the refereeing in that game was, was bizarre, to say the least. Um, not that in the end Tottenham didn't overwhelm us, they did. Uh, not that in the end you didn't have to give Tottenham credit for the run they went on at the end of the season. But I, I don't think we necessarily got the fair rub of the green that day on refereeing decisions. And I think that has been a pattern again this season. I think back to that Man City game on New Year's Day when I think we got some really rough decisions. Sorry. I think I think we all, it almost feels as though referees think well it doesn't really matter if i give this against arsenal in the way that you know you think back to when when we were one of the the sort of top teams you get that benefit of the doubt a bit more uh, that maybe man city and liverpool get and um and it feels like it's almost a sort of ah well if i give this against arsenal everyone expects them to cock it up anyway uh Yeah, I thought we got some really poor decisions at at Whitehall Lane. But then again, we still had it in our own hands and we went. And and similar to what I said about the game at Palace, both on Monday nights, ironically enough, we went to Newcastle and just never turned up, didn't play at all. Don't know whether we were nervous, don't know what it was. Um, Just never, never played our football, never played our game. Again, I think we looked a bit tired at the end. Similar to Liverpool in the sense that you know we've got a very small squad of players. We talked about that before. Been relying on basically the same 14 names all season. We're you know, we have finished fifth. If you'd offered me fifth in August when we lost the first three, I think I'd have said, yep, yeah, that's a pretty good year. We'll take that, that's progress. Uh they will need to strengthen in, in the summer. They obviously need a centre forward. They need another central midfield player uh they better depth in the full back positions because again when tommy Asu and and tnie got injured that lack of depth showed up um you know <clears throat> i think the centre half pairings done well for most of the year white and and gabriel but again at the end they were both carrying injuries and playing through injections and everything else losing thomas party we never found a, a way to replace him as well as as well as Nenny played in the last six games we know what he is he's he, he's a fill-in you know try hard but but not really a talented you know progressive midfield player um yeah it, it it feels like an opportunity missed from the position we got ourselves into uh i think we will go again next year I think we'll be there or thereabouts again next year, but it wouldn't completely shock me if we end next season in fifth again and we're having a similar conversation, which is why I think there might come a point next season when if they do get on a run in the Europa League where they might just have to prioritise that. Um, we'll see. But uh, overall, reasonably satisfied with the season, but you know, frustrated and disappointed with the way it finished because I think we had got ourselves into a position where we could have, we could have nicked something that we're probably not quite ready for, uh, and maybe just didn't take advantage of it.
0: Can you must be absolutely delighted the season's finished.
1: I'm, I'm celebrating every day that there's, that there's. <laughs> That we're not playing football matches. None of the football, none of the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, none of the football, none. Although it's been like that all season, to be honest, Dan. It's been none of the football all of the time because we haven't we haven't played any we haven't played any football since about August, I think. Um, Yeah, a a complete complete just farcical disaster show from from one crisis to the next, um, all the way through the season. Um, There is, I don't. Don't really think there's any positives other than the fact that it is over, um, and that we do, you know, we do have a new manager coming in um, who has, you know, a decent track record and decent reputation. And and you know, I'm looking at it with an open mind, but but also very aware that there's some very well documented problems throughout this football club that that many many other managers have tried to address and, and failed. So that the job cannot be underestimated, and and it will and it won't be quick um regardless of how it's approached there will not be any miraculous turnaround um so i think we're just just going to have to sort of strap in and, and see what happens um i'm hoping that uh he's he's you know given given license to to sort of bring in his his thoughts and ideas and his own people it sounds like you know it, quite in, encouraging the way that he's he's sort of negotiated bringing in i know people have sort of mocked you know, Steve, Steve McLaren is, is coming is coming back in for another spell, but that was Big very game. much his decision. That That's not her, because, you know, I know you could say oh, it's another, you know, faded United connection, you know, hanging around the club. But it, it was apparently very much, uh, you know, Ten Hag, you know, he was his man and he had to actually convince the club to bring him in. Um, rather than it being enforced on him. So I hope that that's the way things go, because the people at the club, I think we all know, we've seen 10 years of it, don't know what they're doing. So hopefully they might decide to actually listen to, to someone that they've recruited based on his track record, that maybe that person might know what they're doing. Um, it hasn't happened much so far, so I'm sceptical, but um, that that's all we can really cling to, that um, that they maybe see this as a bit of a watershed moment, given just how laughably pathetic it's been that finally it's a wake-up call. Uh, I won't hold my breath, but that's yeah, that's all we can really, all we can really hope for at this point. Uh, otherwise, think otherwise, was... a year from now we'll be saying the same thing, basically. So, sorry, Paul, go on.
2: Uh, no, 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 I, sorry, I cut in too early. I, I think Ten Hag was on McLaren's staff, wasn't he at Twente? I think that's the link. Um, so they've worked kind of the other way round with McLaren as manager and, and, and Ten Hag as a coach previously. So I think there is a relationship there. I think it does make sense. It always makes sense for a foreign manager to have somebody who knows the English Premier League a little bit because it is very different. Um, My take on Manchester United is that I think they need to give Ten Hag a year next year that is a complete free pass because I think it needs, and I I know I keep harking back to Arsenal and and people might say, well, Arsenal's reset hasn't proven it's succeeded yet, and I completely accept that and agree with that, you know, but I think... Arteta needed the time to do the cultural reset be- almost before he could rebuild the team. He had to start again with the, what are the expectations and what is the culture around this place? And I think Man United's dressing room needs that. I think there are some personalities in there who need to be moved out. Paul Pogba's gone, so that's a start. Um, yeah. I'm not, you know, I, where would Man United be this year without Ronaldo's goals? But there's still a question to me as to whether he's really a fit in a team in the position Man United are in. Uh, Cavani was huffing and puffing the other day on his way out the door. Well, you know, don't let he hit you on the backside would be my reaction to that. You know, I, I think there were some, some bad eggs in that dressing room. Not in the sense of bad professionals, but, but people who were not the sort of people you want around you. In a rebuild situation, which is what I think Manchester United is, um, and I think they need to give Ten Hag a year to, as much as anything else, work out who the people he can rely on and count on, or not not ask him to do what they did. I think when, if I think back to when they hired Van Hall, and they, you know, they brought six or seven players in in a big flurry all at the same time, and you know, Daily Blind and Marcus Rocco and you know, Dem- Dem- Memphis Depay, and those kind of people who maybe didn't work out. Uh, there was Darmian as well, wasn't the full-back. I think they almost need to say to Ten Hag, focus this summer on trying to get the right two or three who are going to be kind of cornerstones of your project. Take a year to work out what does work and what doesn't work from what you have. And then we'll go big in the, you know, and go and get four and five players next summer when we've, when we've cleared the decks a little bit. And I know that patience message is probably not one a lot of Man United fans want to hear, given how desperate this season particularly was um but to me that's the right answer now i know patience is in short supply in modern football so uh we kind of have to take take that for what it's worth but you look at the united squad now it's a disjointed mess built by you know four or five different managers right there's there's still people from van hall's time there there, there's people from Mourinho's time there, there's the Solskjaer people you know, it, 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 there's obviously then, I know Ragnik didn't sign players but there's kind of the, the Ragnik culture that's that's been embedded as well or probably not embedded but tried at least um, I, I think they need to give, uh, give Ten Hag, who's got a very impressive track record at Ajax, they need to give him time and they need to give him patience and they need to reassure him that he is not going to be sacked if he finishes eighth next season
1: yeah, and I, and I think that's yeah that that is what it will come down to realistically um, as to whether he does get that that time and if there is that patience or not, and and also equally what what he makes of the club when he when he sort of properly takes over as well because um, you know you you, you, you hear off the, the the managers who've come and gone and you've you've mentioned a few of them then and that you know they don't have great things to say right I mean it sounds like he did have a conversation with Van Halen you know he decided to go for it anyway. Um, so there's obviously a willingness there, but, you know, also there's, you know, will it, does it sort of, is he just going to grind him down and sort of spit him out as well? I don't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, hopefully he's up for the challenge because it's, it's, I, I know it's it's a big club and there'll be money around and things like that, but it's I'd say it's probably one of the the toughest sort of jobs or briefs you could get in in football at the moment uh, at a top level anyway. Just given yeah. the the state of the club and the, and the kind of litany of of mistakes and failures uh, that that have happened and and some of which are still lingering around the club, it's it's not an easy task at all.
2: But again, a bit like Mbappe should never have turned down Real Madrid, you're Eric Ten Hag, you're the IX manager, you can't turn down yeah. Manchester United.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and you
2: certainly can't turn down the opportunity to, you know, it's almost a good time to take it, I mean, as terrible as the situation he walks into is. Everyone's sort of forgotten about the Ferguson era now. It's that far in the in mm. the rearview mirror. I think people are starting from a bit more of a new reality for Man United, whereas maybe some of the managers who come before were expected to just pick up from where Fergie left off. Uh, I think there's an acceptance, at least in in some parts of the fan base, that so that's not going to be the scenario. Um, it'll be fascinating to watch next year I think what, what's going to be really interesting and I'll just say this before we move on because I know we've spent a, a while on Manu but um, I think what's going to be really interesting next year is what does he want to do footballistically what is his style of play that he wants to sort of embed in the team because I think uh, you know his Ajax team at times was certainly when I've seen them and a, you know, I don't watch a lot of Dutch football so he's mainly been in, in Champions League competitions um, have been quite counter-attacking, and and uh, I, I think there will be that expectation at Manchester United that there always is, that that they play a bit more on the front foot. Um, so so that'll be the the thing that I think will be interesting to watch next year. How does he want his Man United team to play? Uh, but he's a good manager. He's got a good track record. You know, given a bit of time and a bit of patience and, and a bit of money, uh, I think he can be successful.
0: Hopefully, not too successful. <laughs> if um, if we turn our attention then to the other end of the table, um, disaster of a season for Norwich, completely deserved to be relegated. If we're being completely honest, Watford were just as bad, um, and uh, t- it's time to finally run out for Burnley. That feels like it's been coming for the last five years. To be perfectly honest, yeah, I think uh, I think on Norwich and, and Watford.
2: I mean, plus change, right? They'll probably both be in the top five in the Championship next year. Um, and I might touch on that when I come back to the Championship at the end. But I think they'll both be in the promotion shake-up. They are both yo-yo clubs. I think you'd be more frustrated as a Norwich fan because it feels to me very much like they haven't really made a big effort to... Um, you know, they got relegated two years ago. They came straight back. They haven't made a big effort to come back stronger. If anything, they came back weaker because Buendia last year was their best player in the championship. They sold him to Villa, then didn't really replace him. Um, I, I Again, there's protests there, isn't there, about the ownership and, and desire for new ownership with fresh ideas and fresh money. Uh, I think Dean Smith's a good manager. So if they certainly at championship level, they stick with Dean Smith. I think Norwich will be right up amongst it to come back. Um, But ultimately, at some point, they have to come back and make a go of the Premier League and not just come for the parachute payments and then get relegated again. (laughs) Uh, Watford, I I think it's a brave appointment um, in terms of manager, uh, taking the guy from Forest Green, uh, Edwards. um, I think it's a brave appointment. Uh, let's see if he gets time, because the one thing we know about football um, <laughs> managers is they don't get time. Uh, but this is a different type of appointment. It feels more like an appointment, you know, looking for a, for a young, talented manager out of uh, out of English football. Uh, I, I, you know, I wish him well. I think it's a big job. Don't particularly like the way it's happened, um, either from his perspective or from Forest Green's perspective, uh, because. I think, you know, it, it could have been handled better. It, it feels as though it was in the works for some weeks and Forrest Green kind of weren't told about what was going on and then suddenly he, he gets them promoted and immediately quits. Uh, but again, I think he's a good a good young manager. If Watford give him some money, um, they'll be there or thereabouts next year. Burnley, yeah, I mean, we've talked before about the miracle. Sean die was performing year on year they ran out of luck they tried to change the manager I mean the Mike, Mike Jackson got a little bit of a tune out of him didn't he for a few weeks but but it, it kind of faded and um, I think that's a more difficult situation I'm not sure we're going to see Burnley back in the Premier League anytime soon if I'm honest
0: yeah I, I would agree with that
1: yeah there's not not Lots of quality left there, and you do feel like they were running on sort of Sean Dice fumes <laughs> for probably the last couple of seasons, really. And and then obviously now that uh, they've parted with him, you know, they, they, that that was, I guess, a final roll of the dice or the dice, should I say? Um... Um, hey, there we go, we're back. um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's a jungle out there, right? As, as, you, as, you, as you tell us every few weeks, Paul, around the championship, it's, it is a bonkers league. And, yeah, they, they haven't been in it for a while, right? At least Norwich and Watford, they're streetwise. Um, they're, you yeah. know, they're in there every other year. Whereas, um, you know, Burnley have had quite a long time in that sort of uh, survival relegation bracket for the most part, um, the other the season aside. So them going back in there, you know, is it a bit of a culture shock? Um, and a bit of an well, adjustment. The,
2: the Sunderland example might be a good one because they almost stayed up too many times. But by the time they went down, they were so disjointed and so kind of unused to the, the challenge of the championship that they went straight through the league. Now, I really hope that doesn't happen to Burnley, but... There's lots of difficult financial situations. I think a loan leveraged against the club that if they got relegated, they suddenly become liable for, which, 30 million, you know, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like a bit of a mess of a situation. I, I really hope for Burnley fans that it doesn't get as bad as it sounds like it could, but I do fear for them if I'm honest.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think, fingers crossed, um, that you're right, and there's no long-term damage there. Um, if we kind of, like, begin to draw this to a close and talk about overachievers and underachievers Um, I don't see Everton having a much better season last season I mean I'm waiting for the open top bus parade um, for staying up but they were very very lucky any other season, five point gap, they'd probably go. It's just that this was a bit of a bananas season.
1: Um, well, yeah, I was just going to say. I mean, it, it was, it has been a crazy season for them. I, I am, I, I don't, you know, mind the fact that they, that they've stayed up. They are sort of Premier League style warts, and I think it would be a shame to see them uh, drop down. I appreciate your view is is different for different reasons. That as as a rival, but I don't have anything, uh, you know, necessarily against Everton, even with Frank Lampard in charge. Um, so I I feel like it's a a good thing that they've um that they've stayed up. But yeah, we've talked about them before, and you know almost the, the fact that they're almost like a bit of a mini Man United, and that they have a lot of the same problems, just maybe not quite on the same sort of scale. And that's not an easy job there either. And whether Lampard is ultimately the right person to sort of help with that in a managerial capacity, we'll have to wait and see. But you know, fair play to him by by hook or by crook, You know, he's um, he's kept them up um and then yeah they also need to think about what direction do we want to go i mean all stuff we've said before on this podcast but and they've, what, got, you, no money, Cam. they've yeah, got no well, money can yeah well this is it they've they've spent big as well and they've got so little to show for it um
2: and, and ffp is now kicking in right they're at they can't really go again even if even if their money wasn't tied up in an uzbekistani uh oligarch <laughs> um they can't go again because uh the ffp rules make it very very difficult for them to comply if they do so yeah, yeah. I mean, give credit to Frank Lampard, because I thought at one point they looked like toast and they managed to just pull something out of the fire at the end and cobble a couple of results together. They didn't. then did go to Arsenal on the last day, having already secured their safe and basically lie down and get ready to get battered. Um, so I, I'm still sceptical about the real heart and commitment in that dressing room. I'm not sure it's there. Um, Richarlison at the moment is pretty much Prostituting himself online, a, there doesn't go a day goes by without olson saying, "Come and get me." To any other football club anywhere in the world, um, you know, losing him would be a blow because even though he hasn't maybe had his best season, he's got some, he's got a bit of quality about him when he's when he's at his best. Um, they've obviously underachieved. I think Leeds similarly, and I think Leeds will struggle again next year, particularly if they lose Calvin Phillips. We've talked about that. Already, the chance he goes to Man City. The other one I want to mention. This will be less popular with you. Dan is Aston Villa, massively achieved. Oh, hugely, yeah. Four wins since Christmas for uh, Stevie me. Um, so I, I think, uh, I think Aston Villa will struggle next year, and I don't think Gerrard will still be the manager this time next season. Um, I. I mean, in fairness, I think whoever was a the manager there was going to struggle because they were so Jack Grealish reliant. And we've sort of seen that while Grealish hasn't maybe had the year. He, he should have had a Man City to show his impact. I think we have seen his impact watching Aston Villa without him because um, he's just an impossible player to, to go and replace for a club like Villa. Uh, but when I look at that squad, you know, I think Douglas Louise in midfield looks to me as though he's had his head turned as well. Uh, Obviously, I think they've they've made the deal for Coutinho permanent, haven't they? I think I'm right in saying that. That's uh, correct. That, that's, that's obviously a good signing. He is a he is a quality player. I still think Watkins is a, is, a, is a good Premier League striker. Not top quality, but a good enough Premier League striker. I never, again, go back to the start of the season, listen to what I said. I was never convinced that Ings and Watkins in the same team was going to be a thing that worked. I think I've been borne out on that. Um I still question the quality at the back. I know they've they've just signed the boy from Sevilla. I, I don't know a huge amount about him, but uh, again, he's twenty nine. So like, if he was a world beater, he wouldn't be at Sevilla as a twenty nine year old. Would he? Would be my my first assessment on that. But yeah, I, I'm not saying I think Villa will get relegated next season, but they finished fourteenth this year. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if the 14th, 15th again next season. And again, you look at the money that's been invested there. And is that really good enough for the for the outlay? If you want to talk about clubs that have overachieved. Um, obviously, Brentford, fantastic season. Great credit to Thomas Frank and to everyone involved. Brentford, uh, they'll find it tougher next year, I expect. but But, but I think they've still got enough to survive. A lot of questions, obviously, do they keep Christian Eriksson? Because what a a signing he was for him in January. Um, And the other one, I think you have to give enormous credit to Graham Potter and the job he's done at Brighton. Um, I know they had a little sort of quiet spell in the middle. They seem to draw almost every game. um, But to finish ninth with Brian O'Neill, again, not a huge budget, not spent fortunes on players, just an incredible achievement, great season. Uh, And I think he's now firmly put himself in next cab off the rank territory, hasn't he, in terms of British managers who's going to get a crack at one of the jobs at some point. Uh, And I think if Antonio Conte had decided that PSG looked attractive or, you know, some job back in his homeland, I I think Graham Potter would have been the next Spurs manager, frankly. Um, He's going to get a crack at a job
1: somewhere along the line. Yeah, he's done done a very good job there, um, and I know you know we had a few questions about him, and he's he sort of uh, whether he listens, I don't know. Uh, well done, Graham, if you, if you are, but um, yeah, to finish, yeah, top half. and 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 they've been sort of up up and around there, sort of all season, didn't they? They had a really good start, then they dipped a bit, and then they rallied. Um and yeah, fair fair play to them. I think the the other one I'd, I'd also mention is Palace. Um, you know, we, I don't think anyone really at the start of the season yep. knew what to expect there, right? I think if anyone said I knew they'd have a good season under Patrice I'd say that's much more of a chance than a than a than a, a definite uh, statement. But I, I think fair fair play, they've been um, they've been a really good team to watch. Um, I think he's given them a you know a good identity. They've got some good young players there. You know, they've turned over a lot of the squad. Um, and I think they've set themselves up actually really well to, to really kick on next season too um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they sort of push into that that next bracket, you know, you've got Newcastle Wolves Brighton, Leicester there, can they try and step up to challenge them, they perhaps haven't got the resources of some of those clubs, particularly Newcastle maybe we'll touch on them in a sec but you know, there definitely feels like they're on a good trajectory and they're looking up and not, and not down at least and, and certainly we're in no danger really at, at any point this season after maybe a slightly iffy start but the sorted themselves out you know very quickly
2: my only question on palace would be i think connor gallagher was absolutely critical to mm. the way they played this year yeah. and, and replacing that quality uh it's not easy will chelsea let him go out on loan again who knows but um but yeah, yeah completely agree with what you said about Vieira and and got to an fa cup semi final as well in the in, in for good measure
1: yeah yeah and, yeah and and i think i'd also just touch on brentford yeah you're absolutely right they've been a, a, a proper breath of fresh air and, and again just a great addition um to the league. It's been great watching them play as well. And uh obviously great to see Ericsson back playing I think uh, none of us probably really thought that would happen, right? There's not much of a precedent for players coming back in that way from like what he went through. Um and to see him back at, you know, what's almost the top level really. Um and uh yeah, whether they can hold on to him now and so on, I don't know. But um yeah, a great great great
0: story as well for, for the center of the season. Yeah, um, my question to Crystal Palace is: Why did you bomb a two-goal lead at Goodison Park? Um, <laughs> if we uh, move to the, the, the Football League, then for the final time, the um, Vale getting promoted probably got your your tongs wagging.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I'm pleased for the Vale. Uh, I thought they'd have a good season last year, if you remember, and they and they definitely didn't. Um, so, so my prediction on that score was was blunted. I was pleased for them uh, this year because really promotion was in their own hands for a lot of that last couple of months, and they sort of blew automatic promotion. It then looked like they'd blown it in the playoff semi final. I think they were three one down in the penalty shootout after three penalties each in the semi final, and they weren't and somehow managed to scrape their way through uh, and then play really well. I watched that game on Saturday afternoon. They played really, really well in the final. And I know Mansfield had a man sent off, but it was already 2-0. And Vale, frankly, could have been three or four up at that point. They were just too good for him. So, so real great credit. I think Daryl Clark, the manager, has had a difficult year with, um, you know, some personal things away from football. Uh, So, fantastic for him. Done a great job. Uh, the Vale, I think, are what they are now, right? They're a, a League One, League Two yo-yo team. I think, I think Crew are probably in the same position, and it's no surprise that they're passing one another. <laughs> um, but yeah, credit to credit to Vale. I think they'll have a hard job staying up in League One because they just don't have the resources of some of those other clubs. But it, they've got a good manager, and uh, that counts for so much at that level. And, and I think, I think just on on League Two generally, I think Forest Green and Exeter. Delighted for both of them. They've both been the sort of nearly men year after year. It seems, especially uh, Forest so, Green. Yeah, both both of them have kind of constantly been there and thereabouts and not quite got over the line. So great credit to them. Bristol Rovers, that final game and what happened against Gunthorpe. Uh, dodgy is the only word I'm going to use dodgy, you'd be absolutely mortified if you were a Northampton fan and we've had one of those on this podcast in the past so, um, <laughs> you know, th- they would be absolutely distraught about what happened on the final day uh, yes, but you have to give Joey Bob- on credit for the job he's done at, at Bristol Rovers, but um, yeah, that final day of the season was dodgy
0: as anything it's outrageous quite honestly <laughs> Um yeah, Sunderland finally getting out of um, League One, back into the Championship. Un- unlucky for Wickham, um, you would think they would be there or thereabouts next season.
2: Yeah, I think I think with Sunderland, it's it's odd, isn't it? Because I, I, this was almost the one year that I really didn't fancy them, and I thought their season was was kind of not going to sort of pan out this year. I, I, I didn't sort of think that when I looked at their squad at the start of the season, they were they were particularly. Um, you know, looked like a, a playoff or a promotion team. Um, obviously, they got rid of Lee Johnson, didn't they, just after Christmas and replaced him with with Alex Neal. Now, uh, I know Alex Neal from his time at Preston and, and some fans who went there quite frequently and said his football's not entertaining, uh, but he does have a habit of, of grinding results out and they ground enough out and made his into the playoffs and, and eventually went up. Uh, and then uh, this is going to be a theme, Dan, that, in league one and actually when we talk about promotion from the championship it's the yo-yo clubs right it's wigan and rotherham again <laughs> uh, and the, and there's a kind of pattern here that you know there is becoming in each of these leagues a sort of group of clubs that are not quite good enough one but are too good for the other and it comes down to budget as much as anything else um now i know there are some bigger budgets in that division that finish lower down it but but wigan and rotherham are both bouncing back and uh Yeah, Sunderland will go with them. You wouldn't be surprised if Sunderland of the three made the best fist of the championship, because I think there'll be more resources available to them. Um, Disappointment for Sheffield Wednesday. They've got another year uh, to spend in League One. Um, Huge disappointment for Ipswich, who ended up mid-table. but They are kind of the the three sort of real big names, aren't they, in that division. Uh, At the bottom end, I think, you know, it was inevitable for a long while for crew and for AFC Wimbledon, frankly, who've been who've been living on fumes for a couple of seasons. Uh Gillingham have, have fallen through the trapdoor as well. And they've been another one who've kind of had had a few flirtations with relegation in recent years. So probably not a huge surprise at that end of the table. But uh yeah, Sunderland going up almost feels like freeze up some spots next year uh barnsley and peterborough come down they are both also in that sort of yo-yo category you wouldn't be surprised to see them back up there who knows what happens with derby hopefully the ownership situation gets sorted um because if it does you would fancy derby to bounce straight back wouldn't you
0: yeah joe done a good job there and he represented them with um class and dignity which is completely not what i would expect of him but he, he has done. He's done a great, He's done the best job he can in difficult circumstances.
2: Yeah, I think it's the right decision, you know, to stay. Unless, unless, a, unless a really, you know, fantastic job opens up. I think it's the right decision to stay and get Derby back up. In the long term, that will enhance his reputation. And I, I think the worst thing he could do is jump for a kind of unstable championship job uh, you know, he, he's pretty much got a free pass at Derby and as long as they're up there next year he'll be he'll be hero worshipped anyway. So I think it's the right decision to, to stick with them and try and get them promoted. Look, being a football manager is ultimately about winning, right? Wayne Rooney's been a manager for two seasons of a team that's been constantly battling relegation. Uh let's see how he does next year with some expectations that they win most weeks and uh I think if he does and, and has that experience that'll hope stand in good stead in the long
0: run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was an intelligent decision to, to to stay, which is not normally something that you can associate with Wayne Rooney all that much, to be honest. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah, we, we've managed to get this far without man- mentioning the uh, Wager for Christie case,
0: Dan. So well done. <laughs> so thank, thank you for making sure that, that stays off my podcast. <laughs> um, and if we look in the, the the most exciting league in the world, the Championship, um, it, it was. A, a procession, really, for Fulham. Bournemouth kind of took it to the last um uh, well, the the the, like the last week. They probably yeah. shouldn't have done, but uh, they did. F- Fulham were run away, and Forrester finally, finally, finally back in the Premier League. It's taken them twenty three years, but yeah, finally, finally back. I think I think you'll also find, Dan, if you go back to some of the early season podcasts, that
2: they are three teams that I predicted uh, yes, yes. To, uh, to get promoted. Um, look, Fulham and Bournemouth, it's, it's the recurring theme. It's the, the yo-yo clubs. Um, I think it's incredibly difficult for clubs that aren't yo-yoing to kind of break through in the championship, certainly into the automatic spots, because that parachute payment is so valuable. Um, not, not surprised to see uh, Fulham and Bournemouth back. Um, they've both got, you know, good managers, haven't they? Let's be honest, at uh, 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 that level, with with Marco Silva at Fulham and Scott Parker, who, of course, was at Fulham and is now at Bournemouth. Um, I think both will will make a fist of the Premier League next year. I don't think either of those are going to be cut adrift. I wish I could say the same about Nottingham Forest who <laughs> After taking twenty three years to get back, and credit to Steve Cooper, who's done a brilliant job there. Awesome 1. job. <laughs> one point from seven games at the start of the season under Chris Shute Steve Cooper's done amazing it wasn't a great game the playoff final they got a little bit with certainly the second penalty decision which was a clear penalty to me the first one was a you know that's one if it gets given on the pitch VAR doesn't overturn it if it doesn't get given on the pitch VAR still doesn't overturn it it was one of those um but it wasn't a great game. It looked like a playoff for 20th place in next season's Premier League, if I'm honest. I think they've got four or five of their better players as well. Um, Forrest stewart on loan. Uh, so there's some questions there to answer. I hesitate to say this to a fan base that's waiting 23 years. But if I was them, I'd get up, don't go crazy, take the money take the parachute payment, keep Steve Cooper, and try and go back and make a better fist of it next time. I just think they'll find themselves a long way short to Premier League quality, if I'm honest.
0: Promoted too early?
2: Yeah, I, it's interesting when we're talking about Brentford.
0: After 23 um, years. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, after 23 years again. Don't say that to a Forest fan. Um, but, but I almost think, like, the reason Brentford have been able to make such a good fist to the Premier League is because they, they almost got promoted too late in the sense that they were there and there and there for about three or four years without cracking it, getting slowly stronger, slowly more experienced, building a better squad. By the time they came up, it didn't feel like a would jump for them. Now, I know Forest did very well in the FA Cup. They knocked my team out, so they, they've got some experience against Premier League clubs. But when you look at that squad... Oh, it's difficult finding many Premier League players, many genuine Premier League level footballers, if any. Uh, you know, Jack Colbach's still playing for you. I, it, it 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 just looks to me like a Championship team that's been promoted too early. A bit a la Billy Davies at Derby now. Forest should not make the mistake that Derby did that year and sacked the manager. Right, Steve Cooper should be the Nottingham Forest manager this time next year, whatever the weather.
0: And I'm sure Forest fans would agree with that. I mean, let's be honest, they know they're in for a hard season next season. Um, But they've waited a long time. They're a very big club. Um, They've had a lot of near misses and they've even been in League One, haven't they? Um, Yeah, yeah. Not that long
2: ago. Definitely spent one stint in League One. It might even be two stints. I'd have to double-check. But I think they... When they first came down they were there or thereabouts for a few years and then uh, I think lost in the playoffs a couple of times, didn't they? And then sort of just fell away again and yeah, um I think they've had two stints in League One, uh, in in the intervening twenty three years. Um it's great for them to be back. Nottingham Forest's a you know, famous club, obviously two time European champions, so uh it it's great for them to be back. I just think it's a very, very difficult road. And it goes back to what I said before. Look, Without the parachute payment money, it's difficult to go up with a squad that looks like a Premier League-capable squad. You almost have to do what Forrest has done this year and gate-crash the party with this fantastic run, get up through the playoffs, but then look around and go, how many of these players are going to
0: make it in the Premier League? Yeah. Well, there were a few... Possibly teams you could perceive as get crashes in the in the playoffs weren't there? Luton you wouldn't pick to to be in there, but Nathan Jones is doing an awesome job there. I know that won't go down well in Stoke on Trent, it's true. <laughs> um, you you had Huddersfield uh, not exactly fashionable.
2: No, I mean great, great Huddersfield again. A little bit of a reliance on some lone players, but again, terrific season. You just you just can't knock the the season they've had. Uh, when you look at it in the round, um. Uh, and it's similar to Luton, as you say. I mean, see, so name the the big uh, the big centre half, Sonny Bradley, who who I saw play for Plymouth in League Two not so many years ago, scored in the playoff semi final. And I do confess, I thought this is fantastic, Sonny Bradley's in a Championship playoff final, and then thought this would be awful if Sonny Bradley became a Premier League footballer. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, because cause he, he just fair fair honest, decent professional that he is, it, it just feels like it to be way beyond him. Um I, yeah, I I don't I don't know in terms of Forrest really what their what the realistic aim is for next season. I think it's um yeah, I, I think it's it's tricky to see them really making a, a, a good fist of of the Premier League. But who knows, who knows? I think uh the the one guy whenever whenever I've watched him this year is is Ryan Yates who, who plays in midfield for him who's a, a, a you know got a good engine uh, he's a good size as well he's a, he's a bit of a unit i think he looks like a player who could take to the premier league if used properly but when i look around the rest of the squad there aren't too many and the the right wing back jed spence who's who i think on loan from middlesbrough who's, who's been really good uh but i think He's been two of us, apparently now Arsenal and Tottenham and Everton and three or four others are looking at him and I doubt he I doubt he stays at Nottingham Forest. But yeah, when you look beyond that, there aren't too many Premier League talents in there.
0: All all the big clubs and, and Everton. <laughs> yeah. Um I Brennan Brennan Johnson's the, uh, the 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 one that I've been told reliably is the the uh the shining star of that team
2: yeah he's, he's a welsh international isn't he so he again he, he, he i think he's got 17 goals this season so talented player and we saw him in the fa cup right he he made an impression i just wonder a little bit if he might be a bit early for him in the premier league we'll, we'll wait and see because he's i mean is he even is he even 20 yet if he is he's he's only just turned he's, he's a young he's a young, he, like he's a young kid and i yeah. i just you know, he might be, when you say promoted too early, he might be kind of the classic case of it. Obviously, you know, I wish him all the best. I'd, I'd like to see Forrest make a fist of it. I just think they'll need to they'll need to find some bodies. I wonder a little bit if, you know, if the starting point of your not Forrest is to go and look at one or two of them lads at Burnley. Who've been kind of around and about it. The the sort of, I think you know, Tarkovsky will probably go elsewhere, but Ben, me, and people like that, and see if you can just pick one or two of them up with a bit of Premier League experience, a bit of experience the battle at the bottom. Um, that might be a starting point. Uh, if if you if you're a, a, you know looking at how to how to sort of strengthen for the Premier League, get a little bit of Premier League experience from some of those sort of seasoned battles, if that if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I get what you mean. Some experience of uh, fighting against the drop. Anything more for anything more? Nope. And that brings us to the end. Um, Well, it's been a a great uh, great fun doing this for the last two years, gents. This has been kind of our uh, pandemic hobby, hasn't it, really? But um, now the pandemic is over, we're not at home as much and uh, time, uh, time catches up with us, and we all have more stuff to do. I've been able to start playing cricket and get myself back up after uh, those wretched kidney stones, and uh, we're all we're all busy. So we'll never say never about doing another show. Um, I can't imagine that if the world of football will not turn up something that we need to to rant about. But uh, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, Let's keep our WhatsApp group open, gents, let's keep uh, talking, and and, um, you never know what the future holds. Well, quite, Dan. I mean, you know, it, it has
2: been fantastic doing these, as you say, just as, as normal life resumes. And I don't know about you guys, but, but I feel like I'm, I've got sort of three years worth of social events to catch up on, particularly this summer. Everyone I know seems to be getting married. Uh, so, <laughs> there's, um, you know, th- there is that normal life resuming element. But, you know, maybe maybe at some point we'll uh, we'll reconvene. But I think in terms of, you know, weekly podcast, that that, that feels like it's probably just beyond us at this moment.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll re- maybe we'll re- save it for the, the, the special, you know, bump bumper editions. Maybe we'll do them seasonal or something. Um but I'm I'm sure it won't be long before FIFA or UEFA do as you say, Dan, do something abhorrent that not us scramble uh, ourselves together. So uh yeah, we'll never say never, but yeah, certainly I think for the for the, the summer and maybe the, the foreseeable um
0: feels like yeah, it's probably us signing off for a bit. We don't want to become a your your podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, let, let,
2: let's let see how things are. We might we might squeeze a uh, season preview one in before next year. But if we do, it, it won't be a season preview that's that's leading into a weekly podcast. Because I think, yeah, I think, obviously, that's that's probably a uh, victim of, of normal
0: life resuming. But um, I hope people who've listened have enjoyed listening. Yes, me too. Uh, we've always had some, some good feedback and good We've had some good games. Over the, over the time as well, um, people from from Villa Tom Tom Rostens, who used to work for the BBC that was a particularly interesting one and, and yeah it's been a, a pleasure I'm going to miss doing this but as long as the three of us keep talking on, on our group on WhatsApp will be will be fine. and we'll um, we shall hopefully you'll hear from us again soon. Um, But apart from that, that's that's us signing off. So this has been the Big Football Podcast and it has been our absolute pleasure. So I hope you all take care and we'll catch you again after a while.